There are some things for us to learn from this text, which is so brilliant, so inexhaustible. There's so much in it that we could spend 20 weeks on it and not exhaust it. What I'm going to do is hit the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness from different angles uh, each Sunday. Uh, but it's a prelude, it's a preparation. You'll notice it begins in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Luke. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. And so it was the Spirit that led him. He was full of the Spirit as he goes into the desert. And then you'll notice when it's all over in verse 14, he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then he begins his public ministry. But there was something that God wanted to teach Jesus in the wilderness. There was a lot that happened there. It says in Hebrews, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And I believe that for us in the church, as we move forward, there are some things that God wants to teach us in the wilderness, in the desert, prior to us moving to the next place he has for us as a whole church and us individually. So... Uh, I'm not going to hit everything in this passage today. By no means can I do that. But I'm going to make really one point today, and then we're going to build on it in a couple of weeks to come. So let's begin reading uh, now in verse 2 to verse 13, where it says, Okay, near Jesus was full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the desert. Verse 2. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up with their, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Okay, let's pray. Father, I ask that a little bit of what you did in the life of Jesus during these 40 days, in this interaction with the devil himself, that, Lord, you would build into us, Lord, that very life, that character, that we might walk and live as Jesus did. So I pray, Lord, grant us ears to hear and eyes to see in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I was raised in America, like many of you, and I was told growing up that I could do anything. I could be anything I wanted, if I were willing at least to make the effort and try so many of you perhaps were told, like I was as a kid, to say, hey, you can be president of the United States. If you want to be, you can do it. You can be the president. And uh, in fact, you could be a lawyer if you want. You can be a doctor. You could be a PhD. You could be a police officer. You could be a CEO of a company. Uh, you can be an investment banker. You can be a Bill Gates. You can be a father of 15. You can be Mother Teresa, you can be Donald Trump, you can be a banker, you can be a professional actor, you can play in Carnegie Hall as a musician, 
you could be a professional athlete. So the one thing I wanted to be. You can get 600 on your SATs. You can get a 1600 on your GREs, etc. And, and uh, you, know, you can do anything. And in fact, that's built into the DNA, I believe, of the American culture. You can do anything. The Wall Street Journal had an interesting article uh, January 1st about athletics, and the title was, Yes, athletic, athletic records are made to be broken, but is there ever a limit? And in the article, it talked about people like this fellow, Yanis Kouros from Greece, a runner. And his specialty is the 24-hour run. In 24 hours, they will just circle the track as much as they can in 24 hours. He holds the world record. And uh, he ran 188 miles and 1,038 yards without stopping. That's seven back-to-back -back marathons. Now, some of you are into track and field, and I don't know if I used to run the mile, and, and the mile, the four-minute mile was never broken until 1954. But now they're running miles of three minutes and 43 seconds, and held by a 21-year-old Kenyan. And the question they, they ask is, how much faster can a human being run? Can they get it under three minutes? And how, much can, how high can they jump and pole vault, etc.? In fact, you, some of you are familiar with the Ironman race, okay? I mean, you know, we love that, two, 20, a 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike race, and then you tap it off with a marathon run of 26.2 miles, and, and you know, just pushing the limits of endurance, and, and what is the limit that a human being can actually do athletically? And they asked this professor at University of Delaware, and he says, I don't even feel like there is a limit. And, but it's, again, it's, it's kind of our, our, our culture in which we live, no limits. Some of you are computer freaks, all right? And, and you know, now we have gigabytes. That's how we, we, we me measure PC storage. And now they're talking about uh, you know, terabytes and other bytes up there, you know? And, and they say they, you know, scientists, and in fact, someone in our church came to me at the first service, and you know, they can now, on what's called a terabyte of, of data, they, they could take every word ever published by the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and the Washington Post, and in one second communicate all of it. And they're raising the questions, what's the future? Where is there any limits with computer technology? And where's that all going? Now, I say that because in this passage of Luke 4, Jesus embraces the gift of limits. In this passage, he goes everything against the grain of which we're surrounded by. And he willingly chooses to obey the Father and embrace what I'm going to call this morning the gift of limits. And uh, he is referred to in Romans as our second Adam. The first Adam did not embrace limits, they ate of the tree, but Jesus willingly, joyfully did not go beyond what the Father had for him, but rather walked in the Spirit. He chose to be a human being. He confined himself to 33 years on earth. He confined himself to just never leaving 200 miles from home, performing a certain function, dying on the cross and rising again, but he chose limits. And in this text, he chooses uh, to be limited. Now, up to this point, he's 30 years old, about, you know, give or take one or two years, but as far as we know, he never did a miracle up to this point. He's lived in, you know, his town of Nazareth. He had a job, blue-collar job. He's a carpenter. He's been a faithful son, attended synagogue every week, did prayer three times a day, and, and uh, he, God has spoken to Jesus in chapter 3, verse, 30, verse uh, 21, and said, at the baptism of John the Baptist, and the Lord said to Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Heaven opens, 
The dove, the spirit descends on him, and the father's voice says, you are, you are deeply loved by me, as one translation has it. You have nothing left to prove. He's done nothing up to this point, or very little at least up to this point, of obedience. But the father says, you are deeply loved by you, and it's really the heart of the gospel. And you're going to see why, because he's modeling something for us. Because the gospel is, if you come to Jesus by faith in him for forgiveness of sins, and you ask him to adopt you as his son or his daughter, the Lord says, you are my beloved daughter, and you I am deeply pleased. I have your picture in my wallet. I love you. I will never stop doing good to you. I will watch over you, but you're mine, and you have nothing to prove to anybody any longer because you are eternally loved by me. It's the heart of the gospel. Now, that's what Jesus has, has been spoken over his life. But bam, right away in chapter 4, verse 1, full of the Spirit, he gets sent into a confrontation with, with demons, with the devil himself. And, and uh, I'm, I'm going to make one point today, all right? It's called the gift of limits. That's my one point. And then I'm going to make three applications towards the end of how, how it works out in, in our lives, okay? But let, let's go. We're getting here in verse 2 and 3. And um, we see Jesus being tempted by the devil for 40 days, or at the end of 40 days. Now, at the end of, remember Adam and Eve in the garden, Eve's original temptation was to deny limits. Remember God said, eat anything you want, but this one tree, don't eat the fruit of it. And, uh, and then Satan came and said, no, no, that's not true. You won't die if you eat, eat, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so... Uh, it was rightly said, it's been rightly said that the opposite of love is not hate, but it's power. Think about that for a minute. Eve wanted power, control, and so she grabbed it because she wanted to be like God. She wanted to know everything. And uh, Satan here comes to Jesus to tempt him to go beyond limits. And the word Satan in Greek uh, is translated, uh, means splitter. He's the one who splits. The devil exists to, to cut you off from your walk with God, to cut you off in your relationship with the body of Christ. But that's why he exists, to do anything, everything, to split you from God. And now he comes to Jesus to split Jesus from his destiny, his mission, and, and performing really the task for which he was created. In the same way, the evil one comes into your life to split you from your destiny, to split you from living the life for which you were created for by God. And so he comes to Jesus in verse 3 and says, Jesus, if you're the Son of God, if you're really loved by God, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really something, listen, turn these stones to bread. A little miracle here. You know, you're, you're hungry, you haven't eaten in 40 days. And he basically saying to Jesus, listen, uh, if you don't eat some bread, you're going to die of hunger. And if you die of hunger, there's no Messiah. There's no Messiah, the world is lost. And you love the world, don't you? Eat. And, I mean, Jesus... First of all, I'm not even sure God loves you anyway, because you know what? No one even knows who you are at this point. You were a refugee in Africa. You were born in a small little town. You got a, a, no, a job of who knows, unrecognized. You've been in the wilderness 40 days. And, I mean, this is the love of God? Now, you better take care of yourself. Turn the stones into bread. And, and uh, how can you be the son of God and have so many problems? You ever get that? How can you be a son of God and you have so many problems in your life, you know? And, and, you know, the good book says, God helps those who help themselves turn the stone into bread. And, and, uh, and what Jesus does is he, he does nothing. He waits. And the rocks stay rocks, and he walks away. Then, boom, you know how it is. Boom, second temptation comes. And you'll notice in verse 5, the devil leads him up. Underline that word, leads him up to a high place. 
and shows them all the kingdoms of the world. Shows them Rome and Corinth and Athens and shows them South America and shows them Asia and shows them all the continents and all the glories of the kingdom and every person that's ever lived and says, all this will be yours. And it was going to be Jesus. Just bow to me for just a moment and then you can go back to God. And it'll, you know, no suffering, no death, none of this you know, crucifixion and rejection. Skip all that stuff. Just bow to me for a minute and you can have it. And Jesus goes down from the temple and says, you know, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. But, but he embraces limits and refuses to take the, basically, the quick way out. And, and he trusts God with it and he embraces it. So then, finally, Satan in verse 9 leads him to the highest point in the city. You'll notice, Satan keeps going up. Jesus keeps going down. Pride keeps bringing you up. Grace and God keeps bringing you down. And Satan brings us to the highest point in the city and says, basically starts quoting scripture. And that's why we should never be surprised that all through history, evil people have quoted the Bible and used it for their own ends. But it should never shock us. It's been that way since the very beginning. And so, quoting scripture, ah, if you throw yourself down from the temple, show your, everyone's going to believe in you as the Messiah. They don't believe in you now because they'll see you do a miracle and they'll see God, you know, God's with you. And the Bible says it anyway, God will take care of you. And anyway, he, 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 he walks down from the temple and there's no miracle and still nobody believes in him and and uh there's a great lesson here about the spiritual life and it's the way of the spiritual life is inward and downward it's not outward and upward it's inward and downward and that's where jesus is going and you see pride rejects this idea of being dependent it rejects this idea of being limited remember the sermon on humility the choice of humility the word humility comes from being grounded, humus, that God's purpose that we would be grounded, humble people. We know who we are, where we come from, and where we're going. Pride elevates itself, and what happens is God has to send things into our life to bring us down, to get our feet back on the ground, that we're humble people. And, and so sometimes he sends sticks and stones and messages and crises and all kinds of things to get us on the ground. But somehow we get into this thing that we think that we're more than we are, and we get elevated. And God's job is, remember the nuclear bomb he sends every now and then to get your feet down to earth, to get you grounded and humble. Now, our culture resists the idea of limits. You know, American history is, you know, we're going to go out west and conquer the frontier there. Then we'll conquer space, you know, we'll get a man on the moon. And, and um, you know, well, then we discover cyberspace and we'll break the speed of sound and you name it, you know. We refuse to take no for an answer. It's part of being in America. And those of you who've come from other countries, that's part of the reason you came here because in America you can do anything. Anything can happen here. Now, just take a minute. Jesus was limited. He chose limits in becoming human. You have limits. Yes, you have limits. Just think for a moment of your family of origin. All of our families of origins were broken, were marked by sin. So you carry certain scars from your childhood. We all do. It's a limit. Uh, your physical body has limits. You know, some of us have more energy than others. Some require more sleep than others. I, I, Eddie, one of our pastors in College Point, the guy sleeps four hours a night, maybe five max. I mean, he's full of energy, no bags under his eyes. I mean, he kills me, you know. But it's not a limit for him, you know. Others of us, forget it. We don't get our seven, eight hours. We are cranks, you know. And intellectually, we have limits. There's always somebody smarter than you. 
but intellectually, there, there are limits in, in what you can do and I can do. Emotionally, we have limits. How many people we can be around and not get exhausted. How much stress we can handle. We have different levels of limits emotionally. And often we don't know that until we're wiped out. Uh, socially, we have limits. If you're a married person here today, your spouse is a limit. Yeah, yeah, they're a limit. They, they, they're, their life really impacts yours. Now, if you're single, your singleness is a limit in a different way, but it's also a limit. If you're divorced, that, that's a limit. And uh, if you're a single parent, male or female, you know that's a limit. You live with it every day. And how, it, how you live out your life is so affected by that, there are certain constraints around you. If you have a child who's mentally challenged or a special needs child, you know that's a limit on how you live out your life. Uh, I, mean, I can go on and on. It, it, sickness, you know, any kind of physical disability. Your talents are a limit. You only have a certain number of talents and gifts by God. And you know something? There, you may have three, you may have 30, but you know something? You don't have infinite, infinites. You're not God. You're limited in your talents and gifts and abilities. Uh, your economic status. You may be simply a millionaire. Do you know something? You are limited. Even if you're simply a billionaire, you have some limits, okay? But your economic status limits you, just like your educational background limits you. But we've got them. We're surrounded by them constantly. Our, uh, yeah, death is the big limit. I mean, do you know something? Just look and think for a minute. That is a limit. Your days on earth are numbered. That's a limit. And you don't control when that day comes. I like the 17th century philosopher who wrote this. He says, we plant our cemeteries next to churches and in the most frequented part of town in order to accustom people, women and children, not to grow panicky at the sight of a dead man. And so that the constant sight of bones, tombs, and funeral processions should remind us of our own condition that we would look and always remember the fact of, wow, I'm limited and my life is short, it's brief. It's, it's not going to last that long. Wow, I have huge limits of time, energy, gifts, resources. Very often, friends, these limits, you get, no, no, often, these limits are friends. They are your friends to press you to the ground, to keep you humble, to prepare you to be filled with God and go forward. Now, Jesus' temptation was to skip the limits. He's hungry. Skip the limit of hunger. Skip the limits of not being popular. Skip that limit. Let's, just, let's do a miracle and show it. Let's skip the limit of, of the necessity of suffering and death. Let's skip that limit and move on. And uh, when we don't live by our limits, you know what happens? We start making things happen. We now get in the flesh. We're now doing it. And Jesus refused to, to make things happen. He said, Father, I'm going to live in my limitations. I'm going to live by your agenda. He chose to live by the spirit and not the flesh. Now, when you don't live by your limits, you hurt a lot of people. Just imagine if Jesus didn't live by his limits here, the implications. Just, when, you, when you don't live by your limits, first of all, you hurt yourself. But then you hurt the people around you whom you love. And then you're going to hurt God because you get split from him. I, mean, I just know personally, I, I didn't live within limits at all for the first five, six, seven, eight years of my marriage. And uh, I was doing so many things at once because I, I, I had this grandiose sense of what I could accomplish. And, and uh, I did not respect the limits given to me by God. And I caused havoc 
in my own personal family and my own, my own life. I think President Clinton, gifted man as he is, I, I think his lack of understanding his own limits was really the root of so much scandal, a whole scandal that was a mess out there. Because I don't think he had a good sense of his limits and his weaknesses. And I don't know where he is right now, but he got into a lot of trouble because he, didn't, he was not aware of his weaknesses and his limits. Parker Palmer, who's an author and a teacher, tells a story of how he, he was asked to be president of a college. And he was very excited about the job, and he was trying to discern, if, just to make sure this is God's will. So he got three or four friends in a room and said, you know, I want to get, make sure this is God's will to take this presidency. And so they asked him, uh, what would you like most about being president of the college? And he says, well, I wouldn't like to give up writing, and I wouldn't like politicking, and I wouldn't like brown-nosing for money. And then the guy asked him the question, he said, well, I asked you, what would you like most about being president? He goes, well, I wouldn't like working summers, and I wouldn't like wearing a suit, and I wouldn't like this. And, and, and the guy said, well, I just want to understand, what would you like about being president? And he says, well, I guess what I would like most is getting my picture in the newspaper with my name and the title president next to it. Now, when we have something to prove, we're dangerous. When we've got wrong motives in this thing and we forget and lose the, the moorings of the gospel that you are my son, you're my daughter, in whom I love, you have nothing to prove. I love you eternally just for who you are. When we move out of that, it gets very dangerous. We make all kinds of crazy decisions. Now, despite the American myth that you can do whatever you want, you know, you, you, can, you can be whatever you desire, that's not true. There are certain things that you can't do. There are certain roles and relationships that you do not thrive in, that I don't thrive in. And, and uh, you know, I know I wouldn't be a good, for example, I, I, I'd be a terrible president, I think, of a company, a CEO type person, or, or politics, I think of a mayor, I, the, 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 the nasty, nitty gritty, and the, the kind of tough skin you need, I just don't, I don't have that kind of tough skin. My skin's much more sensitive, I'm much more on the artistic end, and I don't flourish in those environments, in fact, they, they suck life right out of me, and, you know, I, I, I think of New Life Fellowship, we have certain limits as a church, and, and what does it mean for us to walk out God's destiny for us, and, and within our own limits as a body, that we're, we're, we're not to be, maybe this church of 10,000 over there in Brooklyn, no, we're to walk out what God has for us at church within our limits and embrace that and thank God for it, and I, I, used, to, I, I used to want to be a lawyer, I, said, I know we have some lawyers here, I said, oh my goodness, I mean lawyers, and they fight constantly, I'm just like, you've got to have a fighting edge to you to be a lawyer. And I look back now, I mean, I was, I was young, I was foolish, and I could ever, God just didn't make me like that, you know. Or a CPA or accountant, oh, God bless you, you know, you, the detailed people. I mean, I, I have great respect for that, you know, but that's not how God made, I know me, that, that doesn't, I'm limited. I don't have the ability to sit there for hours and do that kind of detail work. And, you know, some of you say, I, I, I can't lead a cell group, I'm, I'm, not, I'm limited, but I could help co-leader, I could help support it, or I could be hospitality, or I could make phone calls, but I know my limits, I, I can't do that, but I can do this, and whether it's ushers or children's or whatever service it is for you, but I, I, I recognize my limits and I function that, but it's a gift, and I recognize that's part of the way God guides me, and I receive it as a get, gift versus anger and bitterness and kicking it aside and trying to race ahead. All right, let me just make three applications. Go, go to the board for a second, all right? All right. The first I'm going to call simply to be thankful to God for your limits. Now, 
let me tell you a little story. We have a couple of medical students here. Someone at Christmas gave me a book called Kitchen Table Wisdom by Rachel Remen, a medical doctor, became a medical professor at Stanford for a while, and uh, then reflected, now she's a bit elderly, and reflected on the whole medical profession. It was a fascinating book. But she tells a little story of, of a, a parable of a, a poor man who was walking down a road, and he was struggling about where he was going to get his next meal from. And these two angels are discussing his fate, and one angel says, why don't, why don't you send him a you know, bag of gold? And it'll set his life straight. And, um, but the angel says, it's not going to help, but no, I'll do it. And so the angel says, okay. So puts, a, so puts a bag of gold in the road where he's walking. So meanwhile, the poor man is saying, I wonder if I'm going to have dinner anywhere tonight. I wonder if I'll go to bed hungry again tonight. And so he turns the bend in the road, and he sees the bag of gold there. And he says... Ah, how fortunate that I've seen this bag of gold. If I hadn't seen it, I could have bumped into it and torn my poor sandals. And so he goes around the bag of gold, and he goes on his way. Now, in the book, the author was speaking to a, a client and, who had cancer and said, what's your bag of gold? And the client said, it was cancer. It was the gift from God. It's changed my life. It was a bag of gold. I almost missed it. Now, I don't know what your bag of gold are, but the limits in your life are a gift. Whatever they are, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, whether it's job, whatever it might, it is a gift. And some of us live our lives, we're constantly overextended. We're overextended financially. We're overextended emotionally. We're overextended spiritually. We're overextended socially. We just don't have limits. And we're constantly so far out there, our lives are marked by chaos. Because we resist limits like we don't thank God for them. We push them until they fall over, and then we fall over with them. You know, I, I was so blessed by being with this pastor's conference last week, just being with some pastors who have been doing this for 40, 50 years, in their 60s and early 70s, and I just said, boy, you know, someday you know, their church, they're going to die. And their church is going to go on. And I said, I'm going to die, and our church is going to go on. And you know something? New life could disappear, and the church will still go on. And I just was so blessed the fact of, you know, my limits and my earthly life is so short and brief. Here today, gone tomorrow, but you know what? God's bigger than all of that. I am a creature. He's not. He's infinite. His love is eternal. His work is eternal. But I'm just a piece of the pie here. And I just thank God for the limits he's placed on me to shape me into the image of his son. And, you know, I used to think that I could help everybody. When we first started our church, I think, okay, uh, you know, here's Joe, and we're going to help him in his spiritual life, and we're going to help him all the way. Like, like... I could do that, or we could do that. Now I realize I'm so much freer and more content because I recognize my limits and our limits as a church. You know, we may help this person get unfrozen. They're stuck right now in their part of their lives, but you know something? God's going to bring 10, 15 other people to move them along. And we're just a piece, and we're a piece of the pie for a season, but I'm not God. Friends, that is free. Once you can get a hold of thanking God for your limits, it's really a process of three things. First, you've got to uh, recognize that you have limits. And as many folks said to me at the first service, it's so difficult to recognize them. But once you recognize them, you have to grieve your limits. The loss and the sadness and the fact, you know something? I am going to be in that cemetery. I may never write those books or travel the nations or have 14 kids or whatever your limits might be. And I grieve that loss, but then I can embrace them as gifts. But if you don't grieve them, you'll never embrace them. 
If you don't ever see them in front of you, you don't ever let them do the work they were meant to do in your heart. Jesus embraced his limits and walked down the hill and stayed grounded. And God did a work in him. He learned some things and then he came out in the power of the Spirit. There are great implications for being the church and being a community. The limits we all have in this room and you may have certain gifts and talents and life story, but we're all just so limited. But that's what makes the beauty of the body of Christ. We all bring a peace in our different backgrounds and gifts and talents, but, but we're all so limited separately, but together make a whole in God. But it has great implications. You know, the Desert Fathers, who were the monastics of the 3rd century to the 14th century. These, these men and women, they would flee the world and they'd go live in a desert, in a monastery or hermitage, whatever, and they would spend years sometimes with God. And they weren't running away from reality. They used to, they used to write in all their writings, the purpose of the desert was to confront your limitations was to confront your weaknesses, was to confront your monsters, because they knew that unless you confront your limitations, you will never be a person of compassion. And so compassion is birthed out of that whole process of embracing your limits. And they taught that all the time. As one person said to me recently, I, I recognize that I don't love well. When somebody hurts me, I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to let it go. And it breaks me at what a poor lover of people I am. And that's the purpose of confronting your limits. It breaks you. It keeps you on the ground. It drives you to a savior. It drives you to Jesus. But friends, it is a gift to say, God, thank you for my limits. You know what? You don't have to be God anymore. Which leads me to the next point, which for some of us, uh, is very important. That's to be faithful to God with your limits. Some of us, we recognize our limits and we're, we bury ourselves. We bury our talents. We bury our treasure, Matthew 25. There's only one person on the planet like you. You're it. Six billion people, nobody's got the gifts, the talents, the history, the story that you have. In fact, no one's ever lived on the planet like you, uniquely made in the image of God. And so, uh, I, I want to ask you a question. Are you living life in such a way that it fits your God-given nature? Who you are, uniquely, not who somebody else is or who somebody thinks you should be, but who you are. Yesterday, I was at a um, little shop uh, upstate New York that makes candles. And the guy had you know, a big pot, boiling pot with a wax in it, and he was dipping candles in, and he had his propane... Uh, burner going and he was burning around the, the pot and, you know, and working the material and making his candles. And I, I was so struck because he, was, he knew the material he was working with was wax. And he was graciously, tenderly shaping it. He knew he wasn't working with wood. Because if he was, he would have had a saw out and a hammer out and chipping away. He wasn't working with steel. He didn't have a jackhammer out or special tools to cut through it. He was working with wax. Some of us, we forget that we're wax, or we're, we're wood, or we're steel, and we don't allow God to shape our lives based on the God-given nature of how he's made you. But be faithful to who God's made you, and then give it to him, and let God take it and use it and multiply it for his glory, and, and the parable of the talents, you know, God, here I am, here's my talent, use it. I, I love the serenity prayer, and... Um, 
you know, many of you use it, your 12-step groups you go to during a week or here at New Life. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So yes, as a disciple of Christ in your marriage, you want to do everything you can to make that a marriage that glorifies God. As a disciple of Jesus, you want to get training and equipping and classes and grow in Christ. And you want to get, you have cancer, you want to get help for your cancer to get well. You want to get prayer. You have poor relational skills, you want to get the help you need to grow in your relational skills, whatever it might be. But be faithful to what God's given you, recognizing that it's, 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 it's God who's going to take me forward. But there's one last application. So some of you, you bury your talents and gifts. Friends, I want to say, even with your limits, give it to God. But the last is to be open to God, working powerfully through your limitations. Now, please don't do C unless you do A. Because uh, you need to be aware of your limitations before you offer them to God and let him cut through them and use them for his glory. Like, if you think of somebody like Sarah, the wife of Abraham, she had pretty big limitations. She was 90 years old. She hadn't had a baby yet. It's a big limitation. But God broke through that limitation. She had a child. You think of someone like Elijah the prophet. He was depressive. He was emotional. He was up and down. God used him powerfully to set free the nation and confront all these 850 false prophets of Jezebel. And a tremendous work of God. You think of Jeremiah, another guy emotionally up and down. God used him greatly as a prophet through his limitations. You think of uh, Moses, 80 years old. The guy had a speech impediment. He couldn't speak well. He would have flunked out of speech in school, all right? And God calls him to lead the nation out and to speak publicly. And God breaks through his limitations and uses him as, a, as really the leader of Israel. Friends, the Bible's full of stories and history of God taking your limitations as you're aware of them and you offer them to God and then he powerfully cuts through them. Think of Timothy, the guy's pastoring a church in, in Ephesus. He's timid, he's, his personality is introverted, but God works through him and says, Timothy, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. And so God does want to work through your limitations once you embrace them. But if you don't embrace them and you start saying, God, give me power, you're dangerous. That's why this chapter 4 is so essential for the release of power. People are getting God's miracle power working through them who've not been tested in the desert, who've not been grounded, who've not been humbled, who've not learned the lesson of limits, begin to think that they're God. And we get into all kinds of trouble. Let me close with this. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Two people who were not aware of their limits was Samson. Remember Samson? He was gifted. He was a mess. Because he, he did not embrace his limits. And the other person who didn't embrace the limits was Saul. King Saul. He got into a big mess too. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is a story of Paul with his little thorn in the flesh, which was like a stake. Literally a thorn would be like a stake uh, going into a, a tent on the ground. And we don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. We don't know if it was physical ailment or emotional or spiritual or opponents of people who hated him. We don't know. But it says this in verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations that was given me a thorn in the flesh. You can trust that God knows at what point you're growing into pride and he will place around you limits because he loves you. 
And Paul says this, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's Paul. He had this limit. It cost him great pain. But because of it, he became a powerful instrument of God. In fact, he says, I boast about my limits. I glory in my limits. In fact, the greater the limits, the greater the power and glory of God. And so rather than running away from them, he embraced them. And he saw God move through them. I love verse 9 where it says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power, his Shekinah glory in Greek, may rest upon me. Oh, I love that verse, deeper communion. What Paul's badge of apostleship was, I can't do it. I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't. I boast about my weaknesses and my limitations. Why? So that if it's going to happen, you know what? It's going to be God resting on me and happening through me. So let's do this. This was his badge. I don't know what your badge is. I want to encourage you to pick one up. And your badge would be, you know something? I can't do everything. I have limits. In fact, these limits were given to me by God to help me be guided and led by him. And I embrace them. But I'm open to God busting through them at any moment and leading me as he sees fit. Amen. Why don't the worship team come on forward, or Andre, come on forward, and um, I'm going to invite you to stand with me for a moment. Some of you have limits because you've created a mess. And you're limited by some of the things that you may have done or said. And... But I got great news for you. It's a gift. Amen. So let's pray together. Father, we want to offer you ourselves right now as we come back to worship. And I want to invite you, Lord, to send the Spirit and power through this place. I don't know what your limits are today, but just take a moment and say, God, I want to thank you for my limits, for my age, my health. Thank you, God, for the set of gifts that I have and the gifts I don't have. Thank you, God, of how dependent I am on you every moment of every day. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my limits. And you fill in what that limit is for you. And for those of you who have buried your talents and gifts in a hole, say, Lord, I want to offer you what I have. The little bit I have, my loaves and fishes, I offer back to you, Lord. If you feel like you have nothing, just offer that back to the Lord right now. Because God wants to take that and show his power to you. And will you, just, will you open up your heart today to allow God to cut through your limitations and do something in and through your life that you never dreamed and that when it's all over, you'll say, that wasn't me, it was God. Will you open up your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm open to you taking me to places that are out of my abilities, that are beyond my limits, Lord. But I just want to know it's you, Lord. You will set me free.